0: Welcome to Chip Chat Conversations in the Cloud, a weekly podcast with IT leaders who are driving the future of a software-defined infrastructure-based data center.
1: Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, wherever you may be in the world. My name is Jake Smith, Director of Data Center Technologies, and I am joined today by Spence Green, co-founder and CEO of Lilt. Welcome, Spence.
0: Hey, how are you? Thanks for having me.
1: Absolutely. So Spence, Lilt is focused on democratizing information with accurate translation services. Can you talk a little bit about Lilt, your
0: company, your background, and how you help Fortune 500 companies today? Sure. My background is I was a researcher, my co-founder and I met working on Google Translate. And our observation was that while machine learning technology, and specifically machine translation technology like Google Translate, it had this broad impact on consumers, its impact on the enterprise and making it possible for organizations to connect with more customers in the language of their choice had been pretty minimal. And this was 10 years ago, and this is actually still kind of true today. So most enterprises take this function of presenting, say their operating language is English, and they're doing business and. 15 different countries, a lot of companies will not even provide their products and services in the language of those countries. And there are a lot of reasons for this that mostly come down to complexity and cost. And this is an area where we thought that machine learning technology can have a real impact in terms of giving businesses more opportunities to connect with their customers in a personalized way. Your short way of saying that is that people don't tend to buy things that they can't read about. And companies really ought to fix that. And I think now's the time to do it as part of, you know, digital transformation and replatforming various parts of the enterprise.
1: Well I think that's very accurate. And as a guy who's been launching products for 25 years in the industry. It's very, very difficult and it's a very real problem. So talk a little bit about how you guys are reaching out today. How are you using machine learning to actually solve this problem, to expand the barriers, I think, of innovation, right? There's a reason the telephone was only available to 3% of the world and a lot of it had to do with the ability to build networks. But if you could translate everything into native languages in a relatively quick format, what do you think it does for digital transformation?
0: Well, the reason why I think that this machine translation technology and associated tools its not just machine translation. There are other areas. There are other products that we're building to help with this problem. But why I think it's really important now is that historically, the way that enterprises translate things is the way that you would expect. They hire a group of people. They send them a document in English. Those people type a translation and send it back. I mean, I'm oversimplifying a little bit, but that's basically it. And the number of people that do that sort of translation job is not really increasing. In fact, there's some evidence to suggest that it's declining. Yet the amount of digital information is going up significantly. I won't cite a number, but it's some exponential number that it's going up, especially with the acceleration due to COVID.
1: 175 zettabytes, 2025.
0: Yeah. So it's going up a lot. And basically, the only way to bridge that gap is with a technology-enabled approach. So our approach is to use technology to make the translators who do exist a lot more efficient so they can do about four times as much work. And then also use technology to give quality guarantees on the translation that's produced because that's really what businesses are paying for. That's why you need more than just a credit card and a Google Translate API key. Businesses want translation with a quality guarantee before they're going to put it on their website or in their product.
1: So how did you get engaged with Intel? I think there's a great story here because as a co-founder, you know, there's two guys and an idea, right? And, you know, we should tell the listeners, you're an Intel capital company, which is great. I'm glad we made the decision to do this because you guys are solving some real world problems. But how do you get from the genesis of, hey, this is a problem to, I want to start a company. Take our listeners through that process.
0: Well, for John and I, both of us make decisions on maximizing the impact that we can have. And when we started working together, it was first in a research setting. And so we were building this technology that can be used to accelerate translation. And we kind of got that to work towards the end of 2014, I guess it was. And he was leaving Google and I was finishing grad school, and. We believe this technology is going to happen. Our specific approach to translation, people have been working on since the late 60s. So it took a long time to get this technique to work. But we knew it worked and we knew it was going to be important. And so we had a choice to stay in research, to go to a big company and advocate that this get built or to build it ourselves. And I think we concluded that the fastest route to getting it into the market was to take it there ourselves, even though we had (laughs) <laughs> no no real experience building companies. And then that brings us to the present day where now we're doing Intel's entire workload at very large scale with profound results, which I think the real bit is, okay, you have a prototype that works. It's actually non-trivial to go from that to operationalized at large scale in an enterprise workflow. And I think in some sense, we just had no idea what we were getting ourselves involved in. Well, I'm
1: thankful that you took the former decision and not the latter decision, because I think it's been proven over and over again in our industry that when you have to do something to break through, You have to do it from a small company. So kudos to you, Spence and John for taking the leap. Now, let's talk about the relationship between Intel and LILP because that was a long time ago. That was 2014, as we discussed. And you guys have made a lot of progress. Can you talk a little bit about the AI Builders program and the work that we're doing together on second generation Xeon systems?
0: Sure. Well, maybe I can walk through the relationship with Intel a little bit and then talk a little bit about how we're partnering now so I met Loic actually who runs localization for Intel and gosh, it was a long time ago. It's like 2018, maybe something like that at lunch. We had lunch and we were talking and you know, I think Intel has a culture of embracing change and trying new things which is somewhat unique for a very large company. I mean, a lot of companies talk about that but few of them you know, sort of actually do it. And so we started talking and then about a year later in 2019, there was a business change where they really did need to try a new approach. So we did a proof of concept, improved out the technology would work, and you know, decided to sort of start ramping up from last summer, so like the summer of 2019 through the present day, at which point now the whole workload runs on Lilt. And then somewhere along the way, you know, as a result of that collaboration, Intel Capital got interested because, well, it was working and it was serving a business customer. It's amazing how
1: quickly Intel Capital got involved once it started working. I think our scientists who do like to try new things quickly realize great ideas and great technologies when they see them.
0: Yeah, that's exactly right. And when you can prove it in a business setting, that makes it a lot easier for an investor to evaluate whether the approach really works. And then on the technical point of view, I think where Intel has been really helpful is... Our system builds personalized models. So it's training machine learning models in production that adapt to the various people who are using it and the workflows that it's being used to translate. So we're swapping in and out all these personalized models in our production system. And what that means is that it's not easy for us to accelerate the translation system using GPUs in our production system because pretty much for every request we serve it from a different model. So what this means is that we have to be very, very efficient on the CPU, which is where Intel processors come in. And the Intel teams, the technical teams and AI teams have helped us a lot with benchmarking our translation system and putting in CPU specific optimizations to make it really efficient, which makes a meaningful difference for our system in the live production setting.
1: So have you been able to take advantage of DL Boost and VNNI? What type of technologies do you take advantage of, AVX512? Which of those technologies that you think most benefited you guys using the second generation Xeon scalable processor family?
0: It's primarily articulated through MKL optimized images of TensorFlow. Our system's written in TensorFlow. And so The Intel teams, and specifically over the summer when we were upgrading from TensorFlow 1 to TensorFlow 2, have helped us a lot with some of the low-level CPU optimization for the decoder.
1: Well, that's what we hope to do when we find innovation. I think sometimes it gets lost that Intel is a science company first and foremost. We were founded by scientists and we will continue to be a science company. So your science is a very interesting science. So I want to get into really what you think are some of the longer term benefits of this kind of application deployed across multiple industries. That's the first question. And the second question is, how has 2020 and the COVID related pandemic affected your business?
0: I think translation is interesting because it's a horizontal function that occurs in almost any business of a certain size. And it also occurs in government. So, about a third of our business is federal business, sort of like yours. And actually, Intel's helped us a lot with thinking about our federal business. But governments translate things too. They just happen to be a different type of information than companies translate. And so I think the two key elements that you need to serve that function are, one, people who are domain experts. So for instance, for our Intel program, a lot of those translators have technical or engineering backgrounds. And two, you need technology that adapts to the workload that it's running. And that's what I was mentioning about this personalized model training. So our system does domain adaptation as it's being used, and that would mean that the models that are being trained for Intel's workload are different than the ones that we train for our US government customers. But because that happens dynamically without any user intervention, you can apply this approach to a lot of different workloads. So I think it's a really good case for intelligent systems that can really amplify what has been historically a very manual business function. And I think maybe that's one place where AI has real impact in the enterprise that doesn't like sort of end up on the cover of Wired Magazine. That's where you see self-driving cars and stuff. But these cases where you can use machine learning technology to augment what people do, I think there's real obvious business value there. And that's kind of what we focus on. So that's the first part. As far as 2020, it's sort of an understatement to say that it's been an extraordinary, challenging year for everybody. But I do think that if we just look at it from a business point of view, I think it does sort of accelerate the trends that were already in place, going contactless, digital experiences, moving to the cloud. And that's why I think as companies more focus on their online presence, this problem becomes either more acute or more of an opportunity depending on the way you look at it.
1: Yeah, well, I would argue that it's more acute. Without a proper translation services, I believe that over time enterprises will see that they will have their liability costs go up over time and they will be proven that because you couldn't actually communicate in a language that people could understand. You do have some liability, particularly if there's an application out there, such as Lilt, that can change that dynamic for you. So Spence, can you talk a little bit about the future our listeners always like to talk about the future of ai and you guys you know you want to democratize translation services so can you go into the vision that you and your co-founder john have outlined for the future of where you want to take Lilt?
0: sure we want to live in a future where everybody can have the same access to products and services and information that you and i do and can listen to this podcast in whichever language they want to. That's an exciting future as opposed to what it is sort of now, which is for those that speak English, you know, imagine the whole world is in Mandarin Chinese and like there's one page in English. And then every time you click a link, you go off into another Mandarin Chinese page. Actually, for a lot of people who use the internet, that is the world that they live in. And we can use technology to kind of make that better and fix that. I think in some sense, you could look at it from a different point of view, which is you're basically sort of discriminating against your customers based on which language they speak. If you're not willing or able to provide information in the language of their choice. So I actually, I think there's like an inclusion point of view on it as well. And I think that information is opportunity in the world that we live in. And this is an area where there's a technology that exists that is fascinating intellectually and is on the cutting edge of computer science research and then also has enormously positive social impact. And that's why both John and I have been working on this for, gosh, 12 years now, I guess, each one of us, if you add in grad school. And it still just feels like we're getting started.
1: So let's talk a little bit about interesting areas of development for just translation services and really AI and TensorFlow and the computer science research that you're doing. Can you talk to the listeners about the future of that area? We'll step aside from the business and get into the science for a minute. Can you talk about where you believe the science is going?
0: Well, people have been working on machine translation since the late 40s. And I think the last few years have been the most exciting time in our field, really with... The reapplication, it wasn't the first application, but the reapplication of neural network techniques to machine translation. There's a paper published in January of 2015 that kind of started the current wave. An enormous amount of work has been done developing new architectures over that period, and translation quality has gone way up. And if you're you know, sort of a casual user of Google Translate, there's just a profound difference in Google Translate circa... 2014 and Google Translate today. And I refer to the Google product because it's the one that's the most well-known and kind of everybody is familiar with it. But that's true for all the different places in which this technology is used. I'm not quite sure what the next architectural revolution is going to be, but I do think that there are a couple of areas that people are looking at that are really exciting. The first is incorporating more context into the predictions that are made. So historically, a machine translation system operates at the sentence level, and you can kind of realize that this is a dumb modeling assumption. If you're translating like a document or something, of course, it matters what happens in the discourse before and after the sentence that you're translating. So people have been looking at conditioning on more linguistic context when making predictions So there were some systems built over last summer that showed that this worked really well. And so I think that's a really interesting area of progress. I think that there's more work to do in domain adaptation, which is the primary focus of our research team, which is building models that adapt to the domain that they're being trained on very rapidly. And I think that that level of personalization is an area in which there's still a lot more work to be done specifically you can take advantage of the tremendous amount of data that's being produced in the enterprise these days of linguistic data and so if you can sort of train on that that is sort of a easy and straightforward way to see how to improve translation quality significantly and then the last thing we've been working on a project for about a year that i think is really interesting which is around quality assurance so i mentioned that businesses want some sort of quality certificate on predictions. And I think this is a general issue with machine learning systems. They can make a prediction that's high probability under their model, but that's not a grounded model of the world usually. So if you want to get some quality certificate, that has to come usually from a human rater. Our problem is slightly interesting in that usually what the quality rater does is they look at the source sentence that was translated. The target Sentence that was generated by the translator, and then they validate it. And you can think about the validation step as just another translation problem. You went from English to French, and now you're going from French to validated French. And so we've been building some systems. They're called grammatical error correction systems that can start to learn that validation step. And so this looks something like if you've used a product like Grammarly that'll give you suggestions on your writing. As you work, you can think of it as like a bilingual version of Grammarly. And all of these systems require, you know, a lot more compute and a lot more expressive models. And so that's where the hardware comes in as well.
1: That's well, a very exciting future. And I can't wait to continue to give you the 12th, 13th, 14th, and 15th generation of the Xeon scalable processor family. So Are there any last thoughts that you'd like to leave our listeners with, Spence? It's been an amazing year. You guys are doing really amazing things. Democratizing translation services is a very big deal. And I'm super excited about your future, but is there anything else you'd like the listener to understand before we sign off today?
0: Well, I guess I would just say in light of this year, I hope everybody's safe and healthy and stay safe and healthy over these next couple of months. And then I think as we emerge from this situation, I really do think that the opportunity to be able to connect more people through this medium of the Internet, you know, I've been excited about since I was 10 years old. And I think the last half of humanity is coming on on the Internet over the next decade. And most of those people don't speak English. And I think now is a really exciting time to be working on how to expand opportunity to the parts of the world that will benefit from access to the Internet.
1: Well, I couldn't agree more. We predicted it once we launched the smartphone in 2002 and 2003. So congratulations, Spence. This is great stuff. On behalf of Spence Green, co-founder and CEO of Lilt and Democratizing Information with Accurate Translation Services, my name is Jake Smith. Wherever you are in the world, we wish you a good morning, good afternoon, and good night. Be safe out there. All right. <noise>